young Blue Jay team has gotten farther than anybody expected. But they're down to their last three outs. And here is Panic. And out away. On the ground. This will do it. And the Rays win it. They advance to the division series. They sweep the Toronto Blue Jays. Hey, what's going on? It's at the letters for Thursday, October 1st, October already. Ben Nicholson-Smith, who is with me here. My name's Arden Swelling. Our producers are Mike Disoni and Christian Ryan. As always, Blue Jays lose. Blue Jays lose, Blue Jays lose, Blue Jays lose. Two games, Tampa Bay Rays at the Trop. Their season is over. Tampa Bay has emerged from the wild card around. Ben, after 62 games, we have arrived at the end of the Blue Jays season. Feels like it went fast. The wild card series certainly went fast. You think about it, it started on, what, Tuesday at 5 p.m. and it was over by Wednesday at like 8-ish p.m. So uh, what, we're looking at like 27 hours here, 28 tops. I don't know, man, it's still still fresh. We're gonna try to see if we can take some things away from it here. Yeah, absolutely. I think that it's a disappointing end. I mean, it's obviously a disappointing end to this season for the Blue Jays, a team that had a lot of things go well for them, a team that had a lot of things go right. And then ultimately, they didn't make it nearly as interesting as it could have been. I mean, for a team that had that much talent, which they do, they have a lot of talented players. It wasn't a particularly close series. I mean, the Rays outpitched, outfielded, outhit them. The Rays are deserving, deserving winners of that series. They advance. They're the better team. You know, still, like, it is a missed opportunity for the Blue Jays because every time you're in the playoffs, you have a chance to do something. You have a chance to upset a better team, just like the Astros did with the Twins. I mean, weird things happen. We talked about that going in. And for the Jays, it didn't go the way they were hoping. It was like the one series that played out exactly how you would have expected it to on paper. Like, if you had lined up, like, the Rays and the Blue Jays, right, and you would have said, oh, well, like, the Rays have way better pitching. Um, You know, they're going to start better starters. They're going to have a better bullpen. Their lineup's more versatile and, and flexible, and they can do more interesting things. They position better and defend better. They play crisper, cleaner baseball. Like, everything was sort of weighted to the Rays' side coming into it. And the argument for the Blue Jays was, like, yeah, but look, it's a young team. And crazy things happen. And we have seen them have 10 run innings. We have seen outbursts from the offense. Like we have seen pitchers show up and, and do great things. We've seen them get creative and find different ways to get out. And like maybe it could happen. It's only three games. But it, it like played out exactly how you would think that it would on paper. Yeah, which is weird because normally you can't predict baseball, right? Yeah. Normally you have these wild back and forths and something totally bizarre happens. You know, I guess in this case, no one would have anticipated that Hyunjin Ryu would have pitched as poorly as he did after the season that he had. I mean, that's that probably goes down in the column of, hey, you can't predict baseball. And I guess Mike Zanino going deep after a you know, pretty rough offensive season. But otherwise, you're right. It, it kind of was predictable in some ways. And for a Blue Jays team that needed to be unpredictable and needed things to kind of go in the direction of, of you know, wild, unpredictable things... It's the outcome that they were fearing, but but not the one that they were working toward for the better part of, you know, really going back to February. We'll get to Ryu and we'll, we'll get to game two after we get to game one, which is like probably the more contentious game, I suppose. And it's kind of like wrapped up into everything that the, the you know, Blue Jays pitching strategy, how they laid out their staff, the in-game decision making that they made um and it was obviously like the tightest game played and of the two clearly and like you know the the most competitive that the blue jays looked which is like saying something because blake snell just dominated them for over his six innings or actually five and and two-thirds and he allowed one hit 
and was throwing all four of his, his pitches effectively, not necessarily always for strikes because he didn't need to because the Jays chased like crazy. But if you kind of look back, it's sort of the, the pitch chart from the outing. Like Snell is just like fastballs up, curveballs down, mix in the other two, you know, as you please. But it, like 18 swinging strikes in the outing for Snell. And I think the Blue Jays only swung something like 31 times. Um, so like they basically swung and missed like half the time. They missed half the time that they swung. So like Blake Snell is really, really effective in this outing, like which is interesting because his season was kind of like up and down, a little bit uneven, like certainly not of the Cy Young caliber that we'd seen from him in the past. But like he showed up in this outing and then turned it over to, you know, the cavalcade of raise relievers that are all elite or at least have elite traits in terms of this guy's got amazing velocity and that guy's got wicked spin and this guy's got this strange arm slot they throws out of and suppresses hard contact really well this that and the other and then there was the blue jays side of it and the pitching on the blue jays side matt shoemaker starts goes three innings cruising allowed two hits uh it was something like 35 pitches that he was at after three innings, yep. comes back to the dugout. Robbie Ray starts warming up left field bullpen. Everybody sees that that's happening. Pete Walker, Charlie Montoyo, come over. Say to Matt Shoemaker, you're done. Three innings. It's over. We're going to Robbie Ray. This is how we charted it out. This is the plan. This is what we wanted to do before the game. Doesn't matter how well you were pitching. We are going to remove you from this outing. Turn things over to Robbie Ray. I don't want to lead the witness. So just your thoughts. Well, yeah, um, that's a nice uh, open-ended way to approach this. I mean, there are a lot of ways we can take this, and I'm sure that you know. hopefully we'll get to many of them in the course of our, our chat here. But I think, yeah, first off, Shoemaker was pitching great, so give him credit. He was doing his job. That's what you were hoping that he would do if you're the Toronto Blue Jays. And then to go to the bullpen after three innings for me that's a little bit sooner than i would have gone to the bullpen i would have kept shoemaker out there especially with randy arosarena up a guy who has done very well against left-handed pitching would have kept shoemaker out there and at least you know let him allow a base runner see how his stuff looks is it crisp is he throwing strikes if that's the case maybe you get a fourth inning out of him you see where things go he certainly had the stamina at that point having only thrown 35 pitches to go out there and still, you know, expect to have some some very crisp stuff. Now, they didn't do that. And to me, this is a decision that at least to the extent that I was able to gauge public reaction, which is, you know, I'm only seeing a, a chunk of reactions here, but to the extent that I can gauge that reaction, it was extremely negative and, you know, extremely frustrated on the part of the Blue Jays fans who wanted to see more from Matt Shoemaker. And I understand that. And that is the way, you know, for 99% of baseball games that we've all watched in our lives, that's how teams would operate. And even for 95% of playoff games, you know, leading up to the last probably four or five years, teams would have kept that pitcher out on the mound if he was dealing the way Shoemaker was. But at the same time, I think it would be like we would be totally denying the trends in this industry if we were to pretend that things haven't changed in the last four or five years. And if you look at the way teams operate right now, they do not expect in a must-win game. It's different if it's game one of a seven-game series, but in a in a must-win games, teams simply don't ask their starting pitchers to go out there and absorb innings the way they used to. And this is not just the Toronto Blue Jays. This is an industry-wide trend. This is 
the Los Angeles Dodgers with guys like Rich Hill. It's the Houston Astros with guys like Justin Verlander and even Zach Greinke. It's the Rays with Glasnow and Snell last year. You, you see all kinds of teams do this. This is just the way teams operate. And this is another way of phrasing that is to say that the general managers and the managers on the best teams in baseball agree that the best strategic move is to take a guy out an inning too early as opposed to an inning too late. And you could argue that the Jays took Matt Shoemaker out an inning too early. And in fact, I would. I would say that they did. But, you know, it's to take serious objection to that, you know, I, I think is just, I think you're just ignoring the broader industry trends because whether it was nine outs in or 10 or 11, Matt Shoemaker wasn't pitching deep into that game. We said that, you know, a couple of days ago on At the Letters, we were saying Matt Shoemaker is not here to pitch five or six innings. I think anyone who's paying attention to the trends in the industry would be aware of that fact. And so, after the fact, to be like so up in arms about it, I understand it. You know, people aren't necessarily following the, the trends as closely as you and I are and as closely as probably a lot of our listeners are. So I understand the frustration, but I think you're, you're kind of putting on blinders to what's happening in the industry right now. Yeah, I don't want to do the whole thing, but like we, like we wrote it, we talked about it, like coming into the start, we laid it out for you and we were like, look, Matt Shoemaker's not pitching in the fourth. Like he is going to throw three innings. The Blue Jays are going to want about nine outs out of them. And then they're going to turn things over to Robbie Ray. Like we said that coming in. So you knew like nobody should have been surprised. And like that was kind of my thing throughout all of this. Like why would you be surprised? This is how the Blue Jays have operated the entire season. They've used piggyback starters all year. This is, as you said, how clubs across the industry are operating. Like anybody who thinks there is still a manager in today's game who is just like completely operating within his own whims and his own gut feels, you're kidding yourself. That's not how this works. It's not how it works in any market with any team. And like, it's not going to be reversed to that. Like if anything, you're getting progressively more towards managers who pull in information from all parts of, of an organization, whether that is analytics, whether, you know, that is strategy, whether that is high performance and training staffs. And like you were using all this information that you have available to you to try to make the best decisions and to try to make optimal decisions and put players in the best positions to succeed. That is just how the game is going. And it's not like, you know, some, you know, strange, baseball thing like look at football and head coaches right who like rely on offensive coordinators and who rely on scouting and rely on data and rely on their training staffs right like there's no sport where it's just one solitary figure who just makes decisions on the fly based on oh i don't know it looks good i think that's probably right you do all these things to remove like internal biases right like you do all these things to like remove the tendency to make mistakes when you are just relying on emotion and caught up in the heat of the moment and not considering everything. Like that's why you go in with a plan. Like for any human in any situation, you should go into something with a plan. Like you should have an idea of what you want to do. So to me, like the controversy is just bizarre to me. And by the way, it's totally fair to disagree with what the Blue Jays did in this particular circumstance to say that Matt Shoemaker like it's totally fair to say that Matt Shoemaker should have been allowed to go back out for Rosarania or you know for another inning, like let him get into a jam. Like I think there is complete and utter virtue in saying that Matt Shoemaker should have been allowed to start the fourth inning, see how it goes. If he allows a base runner, have AJ Cole warmed up, ready to go in the left field bullpen, 
bring him in. As soon as a runner gets on, let him try to pitch out of a jam and then turn things over to Robbie Ray to begin the fifth. There's risk to that, certainly, but there's risk to every strategy. And I think that is another strategy that you could argue for and you could say, like, that would have been fine. And even uh, the suggestion that Charlie Montoyo has no agency over any of this and no flexibility is like proven wrong in the fact that Matt Schumacher was only supposed to go two innings. He was only supposed to go one trip through the order and he went deeper. Like that's the hilarious thing about all this is that everybody was freaking out and then Charlie Montoyo comes out and goes, I actually let him go longer than we were going to. So like if anything, that proves that there was wiggle room in the strategy and there was room to change it on the fly based on results that were coming at them and they did. So like I said, I just, I don't know, confused by it, honestly. It is different than what we would have seen five or 10 years ago, for sure. And then certainly dating back beyond that, it's, it's wildly different. And so, you know, again, like this is why managers, not just Charlie Montoya, but Aaron Boone, Dave Roberts, AJ Hinch, they've all answered for these questions. They've all taken heat for it. You know, when the Dodgers go down and they're taking, remember, Dave Roberts pulled Ross Stripling in a no-hitter. That wasn't a playoff game. But like, this is the kind of decisions that teams around baseball make. And so it's not abnormal to see that in the Toronto Blue Jays. It's just that they haven't been in the playoffs in the last four years. And so some of this decision-making is maybe new to the Blue Jays fan base and, and that's okay. But, you know, like you said, Arden, when you think about other sports, it's totally true. I mean, hockey's may, maybe more of a gut feel sport at this point in a lot of ways with, you know, line changes. That's something you have to do on the fly, obviously. Football, very much analytically driven. And, and of course, it goes beyond sports, right? Like if you think about your trip to the grocery store, like do you think that, Loblaws is pricing eggs on a hunch, you know. Like, if you open up Instagram, you think that yeah. you think that they're they're using their intuitive, you know, like experience and feel to figure out what goes on your explore page. Like, no, like they're putting that there because they have the numbers that tell them what is most likely to make you stay engaged with their product or buy their product and maximize their product, their their profits. So, you know, it's it's pretty simple when you look at it in terms of other industries. And so, of course, Major League Baseball has become a lot more systematized in the last 20 years. I mean, that's it's you know, alongside Moneyball would have happened regardless of whether Billy Bean was an executive or not. It's just the way that industries have gone across our world. So we can't be surprised that it's hitting baseball. It would be bizarre. And like, I love the idea of the old manager who's who's just watching and going on gut feel. I really do. And I think in a lot of ways, the game is better when that's the way it is. But you're trying to maximize your chances to win. You have to welcome in the information and the data. Yeah, people have these like same thoughts about GMs in the game as if like it's just the GM just on a whim in the middle of the night, like calls yeah. up a GM from their team is like, here's the trade, <laughs> right? Oh, like, yeah. There's, there's so much more process that goes into it. But I don't know, like we can only just continue, you know, communicating that to people and writing it and saying it. And so this is how things work in the game right now. People can listen, they can read, they cannot. At a certain point, people just evolve or die, right? And you just like, people just kind of catch up to how things are going or they don't, yep. whatever. <laughs> this is like, look, this is all, we haven't even mentioned to this point that it worked perfectly. If you like right. r- remove the the names, remove the context, um, like take every take all your like biases and prior opinions out of it. And this like sequencing, just come, take away right. the fact that Robbie Ray's first run allowed was on the you know the first batter who faced him basically. Right? If that happens in the third inning, the whole narrative is different. Exactly. Like say it was a solo shot. Say it was whatever. Right? Take away the fact that it was an Arosarena triple on a pitch like above the zone, and then a Danny Jansen. It was scored a wild pitch, but you know Danny Jansen has a glove on it whatever, take it all away. 
and just say, coming into game one of a wild card series, you were going to get through six innings, having allowed only one run using two pitchers. Anybody would sign up for that. Anybody would say, yeah, let's do let, Like, give me that against the Tampa Bay Rays with the Blue Jays offense, which is like the 11th best in MLB and, you know, like hit the ball harder than all but a, basically the Dodgers and Padres. Give me that because that would give us a really good chance to win. But we don't even have to like cite that like the results prove that it worked because you like, I don't know that you can even draw a conclusion from that because this is the sort of like tactical decision that. In order to say whether it was the right call or not, you would have to like run that like simulation a thousand times, right? Like you would just need more data to go on, right? Like just seeing it play out once, seeing it work once doesn't necessarily mean it was the right call in this instance, clearly, because it worked out. But there's another scenario where Robbie Ray comes in and like can't find the zone at all and doesn't rack up the seven strikeouts they did and gives up a ton of loud contact, right? There's another simulation where you let Matt Shoemaker come back out for the fourth and he immediately gives up a solo shot and now you got the same result. Or as like we saw in mid-August when Matt Shoemaker faced the Tampa Bay Rays and cruised through three innings, probably looking better in that outing than he did in this one. Like the one in mid-August, like he struck out the side in the first, got through three innings with like something ridiculous. Like I got like six strikeouts through three innings. He allowed only a single. Like he was just dominant came back out for the fourth, allowed a couple base runners, didn't get a strike three call, was pissed off, left a ball over the plate to Yoshi Tsutsugo, who hit it into the left field seats. Three-run bomb. Like, in the fourth, like, same scenario, for in the fourth inning, after three innings of cruising, like, that was also a potential outcome here. So, like, I just think that there is more nuance to this decision and to why the Blue Jays made it than simply, oh, they're overthinking it. Or like, yep, no, you got to go by the numbers every time. Or like, it's just not, there's so many different factors that come in to play here. Um, Even in the greater context of clearly Hunjin Ryu wasn't feeling his best, right? Which like, it even goes back to the decision to start Shoemaker and Ray in game one and get Hunjin Ryu that extra day of rest. We'll get to Ryu later. But like, clearly, I think... Um, one of the biggest factors that kind of like tipped the dominoes for getting to the decision to go Shoemaker Ray in game one was we want to get Hunjin Ryu an extra day of rest because as Charlie Montoyo said, he was a little sore after his last outing. And as we now know, because we saw the outcomes of game two, had diminished stuff and had diminished velocity and clearly something was awry with Hunjin Ryu. So like it kind of starts there with like, okay, so now how do we get through? We're not going to have Ryu in game one. How do we get through game one well hey wouldn't it be interesting to throw a different look at the rays each trip through the order so if you have shoemaker give them a a look one trip through ray give them a look second trip through then maybe you're going to like cole or or brucky at that point or you like thomas hatch is going to take a trip through the order maybe you go to the righty lefty righty like don't let them get comfortable and don't let them see the fact that matt shoemaker's throwing 60 percent fastballs and start you know kind of timing them up it's not as black and white i think as a lot of people are making it no, it, it, yeah, it's definitely not. And you know, when you when you think about baseball, right? It's this form of entertainment for you and me. It's a job, but for ninety nine percent of the world, it's entertainment. And so we want our entertainment sometimes to be an escape. And we can even idealize baseball and what it means, right? Like the idea of 
GMs making trades on the back of a napkin, you know, bunch yeah. of whiskeys in at the winter meetings. Like, I love that idea. <laughs> I, I love that idea. I guarantee yeah. that that does not happen. Like, I wonder, it hasn't happened in years. And even, you know, this idea of the, the manager is this guy who's really trusted with his hunches. That's a thing of the past, too. Just as it's a thing of the past for, you know, teams to show up super hungover and, you know, eat a couple pieces of fried chicken. Like now it's like smoothies and high performance. And, but even then, like four or five years ago, I remember Jason, I think it was Jason Greeley. I might, I might be getting this wrong, but I remember Blue Jays players showing up in the clubhouse, looking at the healthy food and being like, this yeah. sucks. <laughs> and yeah. it's just like, and that was a real reaction. The player, they disliked the healthy food. It's like, okay, that's fine. But this is the way Major League Baseball works now. And this is, this is what it means to watch a playoff game or manage a playoff game in 2020. And that's like kind of the hardest thing for front offices as they do try to sort of implement, you know, maybe some creative strategies, some innovative strategies as they try to kind of like progress things forward is getting that buy-in from players, right? And it's like clearly hard to get buy-in from, you know, I don't know, certain parts of baseball observers, fans, media, whatever. But like, it's the players that matter, right? And the players have to be sort of convicted in what you are doing. And so like, that's a great example of like, if the players don't want to drink the smoothies and don't believe that, you know, eating low inflammatory foods might, you know, help them recover better or like, don't, you know, believe in some of the sleep science that like, hey, you know, long road trip, different time zones, like you should probably get six and a half, seven hours of, of sleep before you start, like that type of stuff, you're going to be kind of pushing the boulder up the hill. But I believe really strongly that like the players who are coming up right now in this sport, so like kind of the future of the sport, the young players, Nate Pearson being like a prime example, they are bought in to this stuff. Like they are bought into a lot of the training stuff. They are brought into a lot of data. They are watching Trevor Bauer's YouTube videos where he is like measuring really interesting sort of like strength exercises with his arms and where he's talking about, you know, taking sort of regular blood tests to, you know, measure his recovery and his fatigue. And, you know, like Nate Pearson's like the same way, right? Like carefully developed arm care routine and, you know, looking into the Rapsodo stuff and using edutronic cameras and slowing down things and like really getting into the nitty gritty of that stuff. I think that the next generation is thinking that way and is more bought in. So it would make sense to appeal to those individuals because that's who's going to be playing this game in five, 10 years. Even if now there is like some pushback and now like there is maybe a little bit of a lack of open-mindedness in some individuals, which is kind of like what this comes back to really. It's just like being open-minded to the fact that like there are different ways of doing things. Like I think like the it's the overthinking argument that like that kind of gets to me, right? Because it's like... It, it, I, like if your decision making is evidence based and you're kind of like you're con- you're using data and like you're using information to make that decision like i don't understand why that would be bad to me that is preferable than like processing your thoughts emotionally based on your gut which obviously is going to leave you open to your internal biases and is probably going to lead to you making mistakes more often than not certainly more often than if there is like empirical objective information and data and evidence behind why you are doing something. It's almost like like some of the like pushback to the approach almost, this might be like a real, really, but like it almost like bumps up against sort of like some of the um, like anti-science and like anti-expertise rhetoric that you'd sort of see in public discourse today. I don't know. Like I think like like I said, it's okay to like disagree. Like it's okay to say like I think they should have done 
Y instead of X for these reasons. But I think you have to sort of understand that there is nuance to these decisions. There's room for multiple approaches that may work out and may not. I think at the end of the day, you just want there to have been like thought and reasoning and evidence behind the decisions that were made. And this occasion, there most certainly was. Of course, of course. I mean, you, you have to look at it really thoroughly and through all those lenses. And sometimes it's going to work and sometimes it's not. And it doesn't mean that you don't you know, review that approach and try to come up with better ways of doing things, you know, for sure. But I, but I think, you know, when it comes down to whether it's that, you know, manager who just, who plays his hunches or the GM who just has the, you know, this maverick GM, you'd have to be a pretty special person to be able to <laughs> yeah. beat, you know, all these systems. And hire I'm not that saying, guy. That, yeah. yeah, like, you know, exactly. Hire, hire that guy for sure. Like, it, it, I'm not saying that person doesn't exist. But and certainly in the past, those people have existed because the systems didn't exist, really. So then one person could trump everything else. But I don't know. It, I, I'm not sure that, that that's easy to find in this day and age when there is so much information. Now, I also think there can be information overload. I also think you can make things more complicated than they have to be. And I, I suspected for a while that the Jays were doing that by starting Ryu in game two. I, I think now knowing that, he, that that soreness, and they're not really saying that it was anything bad but we you know clearly he was sore his velocity wasn't there under those circumstances it's more understandable that they would bump him to game two and that's not just to defer to the blue jays and say they know more about everything so they can never be wrong they do know more about everything they can very much be wrong but you know i think that that decision for example starts to make a bit more sense um now and it just didn't lead to a good result it doesn't it doesn't mean that the blue jays didn't line things up in a way that's reasonable and defensible but obviously, that doesn't change the fact either that they missed a huge opportunity here for the franchise because you don't know when it's going to, you know, if, if playoffs are 10 teams again next year, their next playoff appearance might be two years from now. This is, this is a big opportunity and they missed it. You want to, you know, rely on kind of your eyes and your gut feel for something. Well, then watch Hunjin Ryu pitching in game two and tell me that, that, that he would have been better in game one with, with less rest, right? And less recovery time. Right. Like there's no there's no way to arrive at that conclusion from what we saw. Clearly, like he needed that extra day of rest and it actually wasn't even enough. And I think the other thing as we wrap this up that gets lost in it is that there are smart guys on the other side, too, and that like it's a competition and there are good tactics and good strategy being deployed in the other dugout. I mean, I think a big part of the strategy with Shoemaker and Ray in game one was just to force Kevin Cash's hand. We talked about it coming into the start, like just to force him to make some moves because the Rays, like their roster is so well balanced and they like they have so many interesting options and so many different looks they can give you. Like they essentially can, you know, they draw it out a different lineup like every day. You know, it's, it's optimized to you know what was what was on the opposition's mound and what the opposition was likely to do. Which, by the way, is something that the Blue Jays tried to do this year with different batting orders and different you know alignments of playing time and things. And people pushed back against that too. It's like when the Rays do stuff like this, it is like innovative and smart and creative. And when the Blue Jays do it, apparently it's overthinking. But I think the Blue Jays really just wanted to get Kevin Cash to like go to his bench to make some moves so that the Blue Jays could at least have some platoon advantage later in the game. So that Kevin Cash would have fewer options later in the game. The thing is, Rays are so deep and so versatile 
Kevin Cash really laid out his batting order like pretty masterfully in the way that he didn't really stack any righties or lefties. He flipped, you know, he kept them, he mixed and matched, and then he didn't bite like early in the game when it would have been tempting to in some of those, you know, plate appearances. And look, it was either the Blue Jays were going to get that advantage early on in Kevin Cash not biting, or later on in Kevin Cash taking the, the, the platoon advantage early, and then now he doesn't have the moves to make later. So he didn't bite early, and the Blue Jays got the advantage then, and it worked. One run over six innings. They had hoped, I think, that he would make those moves early so that later on the Blue Jays would be able to match up well with if it was going to be Hatch, if it was going to be Pearson, like, you know, if it was going to be Barucki, whoever. Rays had their own tactics and they obviously worked for them because they pitched really damn well. But, you know, we can't get around the, the fact that I think the outcome of the strategy was pretty good, but just didn't hit. Exactly. I mean, if you get whatever it was, five hits, I think uh, one run in that game, I mean, it's, it's not going to be enough. And they, we, we said it again going in that they would have to hit and that they would have to be sharp, you know, and then, and then that very play that we were talking about, the Vlad Jr., you know, defensive pop-up behind yeah. first base. I mean, that, how weird is that 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 happened? And, and the hitting too, right? Like we're talking about a, a team that went into this series as uh, probably an offense first team in a lot of ways. And they just, they didn't deliver. What was it? Three runs total in the course of two games? It's not nearly enough. So, I mean, if you want to lay blame or, or credit, I mean, the raised pitchers were great. So you got to give them credit. And, and you know, the Blue Jays hitters are paid to hit that pitching and they didn't do it. So if you want to blame someone, I think the hitters are probably a fair target for that. Let's step away and come back and talk about exactly that. Talk a bit more about Hunchin Ryu in game two and maybe look ahead a little bit as we continue on at the letters. It continues on at the letters, Arden Zwelling, Ben Nicholson-Smith, our producers, Christian Ryan and Mike Tassoni. Ben, we touched on Ryu in the first half. Let's sort of finish up that conversation. Did not look like himself in a really big spot for the Blue Jays in game two. Velo was down, wasn't locating the secondary stuff. Body language a little bit off. Maybe I'm reading a little bit too much into it, but I just kind of felt like he was taking a bit more time in between pitches. You know, it was kind of like walking around the mound a little bit more than he usually does. You know, it's it's hard to say, but I, you know, you do get the sense in many of Ryu's outings this year, like, oh, this guy's in command and this guy's in control and he's comfortable and he's confident and he's like, just sort of like cold and unemotional. I wouldn't say he was emotional in this start, but you could kind of like see it on his face a little bit, like as much frustration perhaps as I have seen from him in an outing this year. And I think that, you know, speaking of frustration, probably the frustrating thing for us is like, we don't know what was going on and we're not going to get the benefit of a next outing from him to see if this is like something that continues or something that was just like a one outing blip and all of a sudden he's back to looking like himself again. Both outcomes are entirely possible. After the game, Ryu, Charlie Montoyo both said, no, nothing physical, nothing going on, just a bad night. Ray's had a good approach. You know, Vila was a little bit down, but, you know, it was really my secondary stuff that I wasn't locating. It's kind of hard to, to draw conclusions from it um, and to, to say exactly what was going on other than something was going on. Yeah, I mean, you can just look at the radar gun. And I, I think, especially with a pitcher like Ryu, the radar gun is only part of the story, right? Like, it's only ever part of the story for any pitcher. But for a guy who is so finesse-based and who can 
locate so well and change speed so well and get by with movement and deception and holding runners on and fielding his position. He is someone who does a lot of things well as a pitcher. And I, and I think composure too, by the way, that's, I mean, reuse composure is awesome. He's, he's always just so together on the mound. It's actually, it's pretty impressive, but um, you add all that up, you get a really good pitcher. And one element of that is velocity. And for any, any pitcher, even the crafty lefties, they need a little bit of velocity. You know, Dallas Keuchel's better at 91 than he is at 88. So is Mark Burley. So is Hyunjin Ryu. And what we saw in the course of that playoff game was a pitcher whose velocity was down two miles an hour compared to his final start of the season against the Yankees, which was the clincher and a game the Blue Jays needed to win and a game that Ryu pitched great in. So he was down to about 88. He only cracked 90 miles an hour one time which is the lowest uh, number of times that he reached 90 of any start of his all season long. There were some other starts. I mean, and, and I looked at this in the course of writing about uh, Ryu's uh, final start of the season. There were some other starts this season. I'll bring them up right now where he didn't reach 90 miles an hour very often. His second start of the year against the Nationals, just four times earlier in September against the Yankees, just three times. And then he bounced back. So it's not crazy that Ryu might have an outing where, you know, his velocity is just not quite there and then he can come back. So, you know, at this point, there's no gamesmanship advantage to be had from not disclosing uh, an injury or the, you know, the fact that a player might be banged up. So I'm inclined to believe that there's nothing serious going on with Ryu, but I think it's safe to say there was some minor issue there. I mean, they bumped him back a day. Charlie Montoyo said he was a little sore. The velocity wasn't there. I don't think it's reading between the lines too much to say that if this was two months into a regular season, the Blue Jays would be thinking about an IL stint for Ryu if, if for no other reason to, than to give him a breather. That's the thing, right? Like if this was a normal season, we are in like early June and it's a totally different conversation, right? Whereas, you know, it'd be like, I don't know, say the Blue Jays had, you know, scored a bunch of runs won that game and went out and like won game three like i don't think the blue jays are holding back hunjin ryu from the ds no matter how he looked like i think that he is pitching in the ds if the blue jays go on right so like i almost wish that that had happened just to see this play out a little bit more because yeah in a normal season it'd be a totally different conversation and it's how do we sort of like take a broader look at this and try to figure out like what does this mean for Hunjin Ryu, a pitcher who has had injury troubles in the past, has obviously been on the IL a number of times, coming off of an extremely high workload season last year in 2019. Uh, you know, basically the highest workload season since his since his rookie year. Put in the context of the fact that the Blue Jays are committed to him for three more years at 60 million dollars, and like, look, any time that you sign a free agent starting pitcher you kind of bake in some depreciation <laughs> towards the end of it right you try to kind of re, you know get your value at the beginning then you kind of know in like you know the last year or two of the contract like the dollars per war might not you know line up so well but you're trying to kind of get your your value at the beginning well look we're still at the beginning so yep. what does this say about hundred reviews durability in 2021 if we are back to a a normal schedule if we're back to 162 like what does this mean about how the blue jays need to manage his workload next season you know i think that there is something 
to the fact that both the Blue Jays and Los Angeles Dodgers now have both independently arrived at the conclusion that this is a guy who benefits from an extra day of rest. Like that has been like the norm for him since 2018, 40 of 80 starts have come with an extra day of rest. Like that is what has happened more often than not. And you were talking about two organizations that figured that out based on, I'm certain his input based on, you know, measuring fatigue, like objective measures of stress and of recovery based on performance. So I just think that there are, you know, there are kind of greater implications at play here beyond just the Blue Jays losing a playoff game. But it's really hard to say right now just what those will be until honestly, we are in like early June of 2021, assuming there's a normal season. Yeah. Uh, You know, I think that there's reason to believe that Ryu can go through an offseason, get that rest that he needs, and then come back. And I think you just see where it goes. I mean, you you hope that he can start every four or five days, or you know, I guess every five or six days for you. And I think building in that rest makes sense when you can. There will be times that they can't do it. And he has to start on four days rest. And I think that's fine too, because the other half or most of the other half of those starts have been on on four days rest. So I think you just you hope for the best. You You obviously are ready to respond if at any point he needs some sort of a breather. And you try to make sure that he is ready for a playoff run for the playoffs if the Blue Jays are in that position next year. But, you know, overall, when you look at Ryu's season, despite the disappointing finish, I mean, what a what a great pickup this looks like right now. I think, as you were saying, normally you kind of you say, all right, well, you're hoping to get the value on the front end. And the Jays did. I mean, I, you can argue that they did not or they would not have made the playoffs without Ryu. And I think that's a pretty... Re- if he's like a two or three war pitcher this year, which he was... And the Jays were 32 and 28 with him. I mean, without him, they might have been 30 and 30, or they could have been like it could have really easily gone a different way. So you got the value on the front end. But I even think, I mean, if you could snap your fingers and sign Ryu right now for three years and 60 million, I think you do that. Like I think the way he pitched this year, the way he pitched last year, that's my perspective at least, is I, I don't think that's a bad contract at all, even going into those last three seasons. Yeah, and I will say that I ran these numbers the other day, and it was 40 of 80 starts on an extra days, and only somewhere around 20 of his 80 starts were on normal rest, and everything else was like on extended from five days. So, I, like, I didn't, I didn't factor in the times when he had whatever six or seven days off for whatever reason, right? Like, so I like it's a you know only about a quarter of his starts over the last few seasons have been on normal rest. Like, I to me, like there's there's something going on there. There's a reason for it two organizations have come to that conclusion. It's just going to make it interesting to see how the Blue Jays manage that next year, right? And how workload management becomes probably sort of a term we're going to throw around a lot, I think, with Hunjin Ryu next season, if I'm kind of casting ahead. I mean, look, there's, you know, the Blue Jays coming into this series of the Rays had two things that they felt like they could bank on. One was Hunjin Ryu, like being an ace and being really good as he was all season, as you said. Two was an offense. <laughs> it was the fact 11th best offense in baseball, ton of power. You know, when everybody's healthy, it, like it runs pretty deep. They didn't get either of those things, right? And so that's that's why you you lose this series essentially is that Hunjin Ryu got blown up and your your offense wasn't there. And I think the the offense probably is a a bigger culprit for why the Blue Jays lost this series than than Ryu because if the offense had done even just a bit better against Ray's pitching. Maybe they'd steal a 4-3 win in game one. And even though Ryu gets blown up in game two, you still got game three. I just think that the Rays executed just a terrific game plan against the Blue Jays. You know, we like after game one, 
we talked to Kevin Biggio and we were like, what were you seeing from Blake Snell? You know, how, what, like what made him so good tonight? And Kevin basically said, well, actually he pitched me a lot differently than I was accustomed to. And then I was expecting he, you know, threw me a lot more fastballs than he normally does. After game two, we talked to Bo Bichette and we were like, Hey, like, you know, what did you see this series from, Tampa pitchers, you know, what did you see from Tyler Glass now? And he was saying, well, it's like kind of interesting because normally I get 50-50 heaters and breaking balls, but in this series, I just got all breaking balls. Um, and it was tough for me to make that adjustment. You know, they threw a lot of breaking balls to me, um, which is not necessarily out of the norm. Um, I would say they normally are about 50-50 with me, but they threw a ton of them to me um, the last two games. So, but I mean, I think that they just, it's more, more attention to detail in the playoffs. They know that I hit fastballs well. Um, so it's really no surprise they weren't breaking balls. But, um, you know, bottom line is I think they both pitched really well. Um, they both have great stuff and um, they just, you know, did well enough to beat us. I just think that the Rays really, really dove into how to exploit this lineup and how to go after it. Um, like, I think it is telling that Kevin Biggio, who like doesn't chase, doesn't strike out a whole lot, walks a ton, didn't walk in the series while striking out six times in eight player appearances. I think it's telling that Teoscar Hernandez couldn't barrel a ball in the entire plate appearance. Like his whole offensive profile lives on high exit velocities, making good contact, barreling pitches on the plate, didn't put a ball in play at a high rate of speed like it's telling that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. who was like as locked in as we've seen him probably at the big league level down the stretch he struck out three times over his final 15 games of the season he struck out twice in game one alone and never got anything started like I just think that the race pitching was just too good not only from a starting perspective but in the arms that they were bringing out of the bullpen and that they like really formulate a really effective game plan to just neutralize a Blue Jays offense that was really sort of their biggest hope, along with Hunter Ryu, of making some noise in this series. Yeah, that's right. I mean, this this team should have been better offensively, but when you look at those raised arms, it's pretty easy to see that that team can neutralize a lot of good offenses, and they're going to face the Yankees now in the DS. That's going to be a great matchup when you think about those Yankees bats and the raised arms. I mean, that's that's going to be pretty compelling. So. The Blue Jays are not alone in that challenge. I do think, you know, at some point, and it could have been this year, right? It, this, is, this is why I keep saying it's a missed opportunity, but it could have been this year that a guy like Bo Bichette squares up someone like Tyler Glass now, or Kevin Biggio finds a way to, you know, work a count in his favor and then, you know, pull a double down the line off of Blake Snell. I mean, those, those are the kind of outcomes that you need if you're, gonna, if you're going to win. And especially from Biggio and Bichette, who I think in the course of this year, you know, going in, they were heading into their first full seasons with the Blue Jays. I think those guys just it really does seem like their team in a lot of ways. And Vladdy, of course, in that conversation, Teoscar Hernandez, Hyunjin Ryu, there are a lot of players who had big seasons and took big steps for this team. But, you know, Biggio, watching on TV, is, uh, for you and me, it's a different experience this year. Normally, I wouldn't watch nearly this much baseball on TV. But when you watch on TV, you actually, I, I've come to appreciate the dugout shots a lot. And you kind of right. see how those guys are interacting with one another, which normally, I don't think I would see that as much from no. the press box, right? Like we, there are things that we certainly miss and things that that this year we were not privy to that we normally would be. But 
one of the things from by virtue of watching 60 games or 62 games on TV this year, you actually see how those interactions happen. It really reinforces Vigio, Bichette. Those guys are always talking to each other, always talking to others on the team, as Dan and Buck pointed out many times. And it's cool to see that. And it just gives me the impression among other things, that this this is their team going forward and those guys are going to have to produce on the field between the lines when the games count the most. Yeah, I mean, if the trade-off is like giving up being able to be there on the ground and like talking to people in person for the ability to see those dugout shots, I'll give up the dugout <laughs> shots. I'll go <laughs> yeah. back to no doubt. being able to do my job more effectively. Yeah. It, like, it, it does come up against, like you mentioned, you know, maybe Bo Bichette squares up a ball, right? In a different scenario, like maybe the Blue Jays are able to execute better offensively. There were a few balls that were squared up in this series by Blue Jays hitters, like obviously two by Danny Jansen that like went into the left field seats, which, uh, Accounted for two-thirds of the Blue Chase runs scored in this series. Face Danny Jansen, the guy who homered off him last time. Oh, oh my goodness. My goodness. Jansen again. Oh. <laughs> His second. That one missed the But count. even like I, I go back to game one and there were like two liners up the middle, one from Panic, I think the other from Bichette. And there was another one from Grichuk that was like scorched to the left side. But what happened on those balls? On the two up the middle, shortstop was shaded right behind the second base bag, made a play. On the Grichuk line drive, shortstop Adamas shifted to, like, look at the plot and on Savant, shifted to the third base side for whatever reason, bang, right in his glove. Like, the Rays are so good. They not only pitch extremely well and execute like a really fine game plan and throw a lot of different looks at you from a pitching perspective, but they also position really well too. So you combine those two things and it is freaking hard to generate offense, man. Like maybe you can like get lucky. Like, uh, you know, we saw like Travis Shaw bloop one in, Roddy Tellez like kind of threw his bat at one and blooped one in. But you can kind of get those sort of like miss hits, but it's hard to string together offense when the pitching is that finely executed and the positioning is like just tailored to your tendencies and where you like to hit the ball. It is just so hard to string together any offense, which is what we saw the Blue Jays do. Like they had runners on like here and there. I think it, they left 12 runners on base for the series, which is like to me, like pretty low. Like you would think that they would have more opportunities, but they, that does show that there were some runners on, but they really never showed a threat of being able to cash them uh, just because of how good the Rays are. They're a problem, man. The Rays are like such a problem for the Blue Jays. I've really, I, that was like the, uh, the thesis, I guess, of like my piece after game two. And the, but then I realized like, oh, this is like an annual thing that I write. It, like you, I, I linked to them in the piece. You can go back. September 2019, I wrote it. The Rays are a problem. September 2018, I wrote a the Rays are the problem piece. Like they're such a problem because they're so good and they're so well built. Like I think like you look at the fact that it was Hunter Renfro of all people who hit the grand slam off of Hunjin Ryu that basically like you know essentially sealed that game the second inning. Here's Hunter Renfro with the bases loaded, two out. Drives it left field. In the corner, Guriel gone! Grand slam! And Tampa Bay has kicked this thing wide open. Hunter Renfro, who had like an objectively bad season, like was not very good for the Rays, but they keep giving him starts and they put him in 
to the lineup in a big playoff game because hey this guy crushes lefties and like maybe he can come up with a big hit against the lefty starter here and there he is against the blue jays ace lefty hitting a freaking grand slam put four runs on the board early in an elimination game like certainly you know as soon as Hunter Ryu was out of that game the the Rays were pinch hitting for Hunter Renfro obviously as soon as it was Nate Pearson or Hatch or whoever was going to be coming in after him like because they can because their lineup is so deep and because they have the buy-in that we were talking about earlier like the conviction of players who are like no the approach works like the plan works we believe in the data that's being used and like why we're being deployed the way that we are like I'm okay with not being in the lineup every day you know, like I'm like, I, 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 as a Blake Snell probably could have kept going in his outing, right? In game one, he's like, I'm okay with coming out of this outing right now. Like it, it makes sense why we're doing this. Um, like the Rays just are, they just excel at so many things as an organization, as a team on the field, as a front office, as scouting, drafting, development, trades that they're like, Rosarania comes over in a deal that like, he, like wasn't built around him right? Like you, you look back at that deal and it's built around Jose Martinez. Like Arozarena wasn't the guy. No, Jose Martinez is gone now. Like they sent him off to uh, the Cubs, I think it was. And Arozarena looks like a serious find in that deal, which by the way, also in that deal, they improved like their draft position with a swap of competitive balance picks. They nail everything, man. They are so good. They're such a problem and the Blue Jays need to find a way to be better than them. And they haven't done it yet. Yeah, I mean, you, you summed up a lot right there. I'll, I'll respond to kind of one one little detail of what you mentioned there, which is the Willie Adamas positioning. And I think that's um, that's one of the little things that just adds up for this team. And it makes a difference. You know, in a must-win scenario, a must-win, you know, you know, best of three, it's not, not every game is must-win, but pretty much as close as you're going to get. And then for him to be perfectly positioned and rob the Blue Jays of a couple hard hits, that's really big. And... I think it's in contrast to the Blue Jays shortstop, Bobachette, who made two errors in the series, you know, and as much as Bichette is this emerging franchise player, and I, you know, I just said, I think he's one of the big, you know, leaders on this team. It's it, his team, as much as this team can be anybody's, I think it's Bobachette's team and Kevin Biggio's team, and yet he wasn't there. He wasn't as good as the Blue Jays needed him to be. If he makes that play, does that grand slam get hit? These are big things, and you could look at, those two shortstops and, and Adamas making all those plays and Bichette not, and that's a difference. It's not the whole series, but it's a significant difference. And part of this comes down to youth. This is why the Rays, they're a young team. They're, they're perpetually a young team. That's, that's by design. And Adamas, I think, is 25 years old. But even those four years that he has over Bichette have allowed him to develop, refine some of those plays, get familiar with some of those moments and challenges and plays, and ultimately perform better and so you know I, I see a lot of kind of silver lining searching happening right now and hey this experience will make the Blue Jays better I expect that it probably will but it's not purely the playoff experience I think it's the experience of going through an off season where you know you're 21 years old and you have a season and a half in the big leagues and you can really take some strides forward or it's the experience of okay, next year, Boba Shetts in spring training, he knows what drills are really important for him. He knows what drills are not important for him. That makes him a better shortstop. And so it's not just, oh yeah, I've been in a playoff series. It's the experience and disappointment and the work that goes on behind the scenes that will make him a better player. It's not two games at the trough that, oh, you know, this is somehow mentally going to change these guys, but it's part of an ongoing process that will lead Bichette to ultimately be a better player at 23 if, the, if all goes well, than he is at 21. 
Yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of learning opportunities, I guess you could say, for the Blue Jays over the last couple of seasons. Like at a certain point, it needs to, you know, shift to like triumphs, right? Like they had certain, you know, it is better to have the two games of playoff experience than to not, certainly. But I, it's, I don't think that it's, you know, moving the dial all that much. Like I don't think all of a sudden it's going to be like, oh, okay. Now we get the playoffs, guys. Got it. You know, especially you know, the season with no fans, right? Like we heard player after player talk about it, how impactful like 50,000 people in the stands can be. Um, obviously, this series wasn't played at Rogers Center, so, you know, it wouldn't have been that many, but just how impactful the atmosphere can be and like how that sort of changes things. Like sort of heard, you know, veteran after veteran on the Blue Jays, whether it's Randall Gritchuk or Joe Panic or, you know, Travis Shaw and come out and be like, yeah, it's just going to be different. You know, it's not going to be like it like it was um so you know even the experience of this postseason is somewhat unique than you know the experience of like say the blue jays did have like a postseason game at home at the rogers center or even like down the say they were playing those final games of the season down the stretch at rogers center and uh we weren't amidst a global pandemic you would imagine there'd be some pretty good crowds oh right like we remember 15 and 16 when the blue jays were a playoff team and like down the stretch like People come out and people get nuts, and the 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 environment is like intense. Uh, that would have really been like a benefit, yep. I think, just in learning how to sort of perform with that type of stress yep. and that type of anxiety around you. And and the Blue Jays didn't get it. And like you're right, the Rays don't beat themselves like the Blue Jays did at times this season, right? You look at some of the errors that that were committed in the field whether physical or mental you look at some of the base running decisions that you know clearly you look back at them and it's like it shouldn't have tried to do that you don't see the rays beating themselves that often i'm not i don't want to like you know glorify you know tampa bay over and over again like I, they're beatable anybody is beatable but like it came up in this series the tampa just kind of did everything pretty perfectly like they did everything really really well and they sort of nailed everything on the margins to the point that the Blue Jays margin fair was like so, so, so slim to the point that like game one, AJ Cole throws a bad pitch, right? Just like a cutter that doesn't cut, stayed middle in, was supposed to get further in, stayed middle in, bang, home run. And that was the ball game, right? Like, you know, to the point where um, the, the Robbie Ray pitch to Danny Jansen that got away. That was a really consequential run in that ball game to the point where in game two, as you mentioned, you know, two mistakes by Bo Bichette, right? Ball to the ground ball, inaccurate throw that was poorly executed, didn't help, right? And showed up, really, really showed up in a big way, whereas you didn't see the Rays beating themselves much at all or doing, you know, committing any kind of I don't know, unforced error is a tough one to apply to baseball. But like, you know, any anything that could be referred back to as, you know, sort of like, oh, geez, like they didn't do that well. I mean, they just start, you know, play crisp, clean baseball, which is, uh, I don't know, now I'm the old baseball guy saying stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> it does matter, though. I yeah. think I, there's no there's no question about it. I think anyone from that team will tell you the same thing they did tell us many similar things after they were eliminated right it's it's those little things that can make a big difference and clearly the rays were the team that deserved to win this wasn't a case where oh oh man what a hard-fought series and they were so equal and one team had to lose no the team that lost should have lost that series and it's unfortunate for blue jays fans that they did not play up to the Rays level and you know again maybe maybe next year it's a different story they had a great chance in front of them this year and unfortunately for a young team that impressed a lot of people that basically played a full season on the road, still finished above 500, had a lot of emergent players take steps forward, a lot of positives for this season. And I think 
you know, overall, when you think about this season, well, I'm not going to speak for anybody else. Overall, when I look at this season, I think that the Blue Jays have more to be happy about than not. I think that they should be proud of the season that they had to make the playoffs, to finish above 500, to have a lot of players step forward and step up. And yet it ends in, in very disappointing fashion. Undeniably, gains are made this season. Like, undeniably, the Blue Jays got better, improved. Like you can just go from a 95 loss season to a season in which you're over 500 and you reach the playoffs. I get it. Like the asterisk police is going to be out about expanded playoffs and about 60 game season. Well, okay, then don't watch. Don't watch sports. Yeah. Go away. No one's really don't like you, you right? <laughs> like if you, you know, this isn't real. Like okay, do something else, man. It's never like, been real. <laughs> yeah, right. It's, so it's never just been real. It's entertainment. Why would yeah. you try to sabotage your own enjoyment of the entertainment? Regardless, uh, the like clearly gains are made, but then the flip side of that is then you bump up against like a team that's really good, and you realize how big the gap is, right? And I think that's probably the the debate to be had is just how wide is the gap between where the Blue Jays are and where the Rays are in this two-game sample. It looked pretty wide. Maybe if it was a seven-game series, it might have been different, right? Who's to say? But, you know, I just... It was kind of a bitter pill to swallow of like, oh, right, like that's what a really good team looks like. We want to be that someday. We're trying to build to that. But I think clearly there is still, you know, there's room to sort of supplement what they are doing to get to that level there is without a doubt and you know that part of that's going to have to happen with off-season moves and we'll get to that in probably our next episode of at the letters but i think um you know there's there's undeniably work to do and, and even you know and maybe most importantly for the players on this team i mean i don't think anyone's doubting that bobachette's going into the off-season motivated to build on a, on a good season same with kevin biggio I think that is more of an open question with Vladdy, to be totally honest. When we've seen some of his fluctuations in, in weight and conditioning, that's a big variable for this team. You know, if he can come into camp and and be in in great shape, you know, like uh, see Vladdy live the cliche of best shape in his life. I mean, that would be huge for this team. That would be a, a big positive development for this team. We'll see. I mean, that's that's some of the focus and some of the work that this whole organization is going to be looking at in the offseason. Off-season is next, and uh, Ben and I are going to cast ahead to that in our next podcast, figure out what the Blue Jays uh, need to do, some some targets, uh, and kind of just think about what's probably going to be really strange off-season, like probably unlike any off-season that we have uh, ever seen before in baseball. Uh, it's going to be really interesting to get to that, but for now, we are going to step away. I want to say thanks to our producers, Mike Sony and Christian Ryan. Ben's on Twitter at Smith. I am at Arden Zwelling. We'll continue to have fun, interesting content for you, we hope, throughout the uh, MLB postseason, and obviously teeing up the, uh, the Blue Jays' off-season. But for Ben, for Christian, for Mike, thanks so much for listening. This has been at the letters.